and it is the darkness that can come out of people when they feel like they're doing something that's good. Welcome to A Farther Room. Today will be part two of a recorded discussion I had that touches on a lot of issues relating to the pandemic. If you have not yet listened to part one of this discussion, I would encourage you to go ahead and listen to that first. But if you would rather just jump right in here, that's fine too. Please listen at least to the first couple of minutes of the first episode because I take a little bit of care to put all the right disclaimers and stickers and white flags up for the Twitter buzzards and the thought police. So, this isn't medical advice and all that type of thing, yada yada. This is a discussion between two people that's there to stimulate thought. Please listen to part one. Here is part two starting now. It's, impo- it's important for me that people understand when you bring up issues such as we're not sure how much of this is produced, we're not sure where it goes or how long it stays around in your body, One of the biggest errors I feel like we've made in the last two and a half years, especially in the healthcare community, is we have bought into this idea that they are just like any other vaccine that your kid gets when they go for a one-year-old checkup. And it's not. It's 100% not like every other vaccine that's on the the market. Now, that has been effectively distributed, you know, that idea, oh, well, we we give obligatory vaccines all the time. This is just another one. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. If if you don't take anything else away from this conversation, please, this is my view, and I'll let you name something also later on that you want people to remember. But if, any, if anybody listening to this takes one thing away from it, this is not an MMR vaccine. This is not a Hep B vaccine that your kid gets at birth. It's completely different. The technology was never widely used in humans before last year. And the people that bring these concerns... People like Maria, people, you know, there have been several people who have been kind of demonized for this. This is a nuanced issue. It's not just as simple as COVID bad, vaccine good. (laughs) We don't want people to die of COVID either. But the lie that people buy into is that people who are kind of, they feel kind of sketchy about these products, and they especially, the red flags start going up when it's like, oh, well, the first two doses didn't work, but we promised the third one will. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, the the three aren't as effective as the four. That doesn't pass the smell test. 
in my opinion. And we have to be able to speak openly and freely about these things. Everything that we have just said is a matter of fact. What we're saying is not just some BS we picked up on some random forum somewhere. If anybody out there who's listening to this would like to do a fact check that is something other than just saying, uh if you can actually produce some information that is like, oh, well, they're actually wrong. Here's the spike protein. Here's what it looks like. Well, actually, you're wrong. Pfizer actually did study um, how long the spike hangs around in your body, and it's this number of days or weeks or months. Because that's what it is at this point. It's not three days like we heard initially. I was just to say, we can direct people to the documents that are on freely available from the European Union and their assessment that um, talks about that. And uh, there was a leak from the EMA back in November 2020 with more detailed review of uh, the assessors or the regulators going through all that data. And this, I, I took it directly from regulatory data. This is not made up. It's not me. It's regulatory data that's available freely and for anybody to look at. It is not hidden. It is just not talked about. I want to let's I want to move on. There's a couple more things I want to cover with you if you have the time. Mm-hmm. So you talk the concept of noble lies has been discussed in several places over the last couple of years, but it's something that I hear you bring up a a decent amount in your tweets. And so I wanted you to just talk about the concept of the noble lie and just define that for listeners. So um, I think as pharmacists, we get told the noble lie by physicians a lot. Whenever, uh, for example, a noble lie is, and this is mostly done by healthcare practitioners, and I would include ourselves, but it's done in order to change behavior or we do it in order to um, make a patient do something that we think they should do. So, or else we withhold the whole truth. So a more mundane example, for example, might be you have a drug on formulary in hospitals that has to meet certain criteria. You're down in the basement, you call the doc and you ask the questions about does it meet criteria? And the doc says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go up to the floor to look at the patient and they don't meet any of the criteria. And the doc is telling you, yeah, well, I, I, I know it doesn't, she doesn't meet criteria, but I need this drug because of this and this. It tends to be emotional. And, uh, but yes, it happens all the time. One of the most egregious examples of the noble lie was when, and this happened in Canada as well. In the beginning, we told everybody, the very beginning, that no, the average person doesn't need masks that it wasn't going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, masks really don't do very well. And the real reason why that happened was to save the masks for the people in hospital. Okay. And what that did 
You know, that was a lie, a noble lie to protect the workers in hospital. But it was a lie that was obviously going to be seen very soon. It wasn't really necessary. And it decreased your trust in the public health. And public health does mobilize for vaccination especially. Anything to decrease vaccine hesitancy is a problem, and we do everything in public health to prevent that from happening as much as possible. So we, and um, the other thing that goes with noble lies is something I call nudging. And nudging came from um, uh, that book, The Nudge, which is an economics um, thing that says the choice architecture, you limit your choices for better behavior without actually limiting your ability to do what you want. So you have all your fruits and vegetables at eye level and your snacks and bad things at the bottom so that you'd have to bend down to get it. A little more effort to get the snacks and the stuff that are good for you are at eye level. That is a nut. And what we're finding here is not only do we have noble eyes, but we were nudged, nudged to do things that we would normally not do in order to achieve some kind of behavioral endpoint that public health wanted us to do. So we both have noble eyes and we have nudging. And this is going to cause all kinds of problems for public health in the future because people eventually learned and felt that they were being manipulated to do certain things. And people do not like that. They do not like to be lied to and they don't like to be manipulated. And this is going to be a long-term problem for public health that is going to be quite serious. I feel like people nowadays, especially in our information age, in our technological age, where people get information so fast, it's almost like they were trying to deploy a 1980s or 1990s tactic for maximizing uptake, but they were trying to do it in the 2020s, and it didn't work out very well for them. And, I think they overplayed their hand. Yeah, and, you know, to, to steel man this, because I'm somebody who believes in thinking about everything from all, all angles— so if, if you're in charge of public health and you have this emergency on your hands and you're trying to push out um, you're trying to push out a solution or a, a group of solutions, what you need to happen is for everybody who's in charge of delivering that message to all be on the same page, all push the same, message and everybody pull the rope in the same direction and so I understand that that side of it and I understand that well they may not have known a lot of the things that we know now back in the beginning I think that there were some people behind the scenes that definitely knew everything we've talked about but okay. you know just your average politician they don't know this type of thing. 
and they still probably don't know. But I agree with you 100% that when it just doesn't work nowadays to tell people to do things that they figure out, okay, this is just a line you're giving me in order to get me to do something. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you 100%. It did impact people's view of the CDC, of Health Canada. You know, like 10 years ago, I didn't even pay much attention to the CDC, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they, they just seemed like they were kind of, it, it brought them into the light and not in a good way, not, not in the way that they would have wanted. And I don't know, do you feel like at this point that there would be a possibility of your trust being regained in public health? My feeling is it's irrevocably broken at this point. I really do. I really do. I don't think uh, whatever they would say can fix this. Maybe they really need to say that they lied to us and they did and why they lied to us and why it was wrong. They need to just actually ask for our forgiveness yes and they need to uh revamp everything and say and restructure the whole thing in part of the issue i think is that it's both the cdc and say health canada it's stuff like this for a large um pandemic should be localized actually and not across the whole country because each area is a little different and each area they could handle it themselves. So a little bit more decentralization and adjustment for your, uh, you know, the kind of people that are there, their jobs, their uh, ability to handle risk, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. and um, would have gone a long way and say, you know, Basically, this part of the country feels this strongly, so they're going to handle it this way. And this part of the country thinks it's not a huge issue and are going to handle it this way. You know, I think decentralizing this part of this thing, that's one of my thoughts on for the future to go forward, is that this whole central thing that kept pumping it out at the same time was uh, detrimental, both short term and long term. These Pandemic stuff tends to be local. You know, the whole country did not have it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. They did not have the same amount all at the same time. So uh, that's what I would suggest is that the pandemic should have been handled at a a local state level or even at a county level. And to a certain extent in Ontario, we did that. Okay. We did that at uh, a little bit um, localized. we did. We still went overboard everywhere, but we did some localized things, and I would say that that probably was a little better than what I saw, say, in Quebec, my neighboring province, where it wasn't, and it was much worse over there. Anyway, that's my thought. I think it's totally broken. I don't think they'll ever get it back. I think they shot themselves in their foot, and I am certain they know that. 
they know that they have uh, ruined the trust of um, the average person. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that both CDC and Health Canada would have smart, articulated, knowledgeable people in the ranks who now appear like no more than politicians? Yes. Um, That's what we're seeing. You personally made the decision to not get vaccinated, correct? Correct. Can you describe for people what it was like after you made that decision last year? Um, In the beginning, it wasn't too bad because things were not that settled. Okay, so my uh, physician didn't really give me a hard time. Then came the mandates and the lockdowns and the, not the lockdowns so much, but the mandates and the vaccine passports that occurred in Ontario. And the um, horrible, horrible things that people would say about unvaccinated people. So my husband, I convinced my family not to give vaccinated for the reasons that I discussed earlier, the issues that were arising from my review. And in my opinion, when a drug company doesn't want to show the data to the regulator, it always signals something not good, rarely, and it's not good. And I said, let's wait to see if Pfizer comes forward and presents this data that I'm waiting for on this spike protein, which has yet to happen. And my poor husband's an anesthetist. He actually heard some of his colleagues say that people who are unvaccinated should be put in camps, that they should be, um, you know, basically not allowed any um, individual rights of any kind. I got told every time I went to the, I have to go get blood work on a day, a weekly basis. I got uh, the third degree every time I went. How come I wasn't get vaccinated? And um, I handled this by just talking over the heads because most weren't all that knowledgeable. And they would just get the blank eyes. Okay, you can go. But it was every week. It was the ability not to go to a restaurant, not to go to a store. Had to wait outside. And you couldn't go to church. You had to sign up. And there were places that required vaccine passports, even go to church. So I couldn't go shopping. I couldn't go to church without doing a lot of advanced work and booking and making sure that there was room and I was allowed. And um, I had to breach the hospital every week. And my poor son lost his position living at home. My young um, 22-year-old, he's a professional trumpet player. He didn't want to get the vaccine in case to the risk of myocarditis. He could not get an exemption. My daughter could not get an exemption and she's allergic to PEG and she was pregnant. So she was going to be forced to take the vaccine. God. I'm telling you, I was in tears a lot. It was very difficult last winter. Very, very difficult until the trucker convoy, which gave us a real shot in the RM, I must say. But uh, personally, I thank my family for doing, taking the stand really had a fair amount of um, suffering. I decided and I told my family, because we have enough money set aside, we could afford to do this. And somebody had to. Someone had to stand up to this um, mandates and this 
awful bullying because if we don't, who can? And because we could afford to do it without really causing long-term problems, we did. Yeah. But it was difficult. It wasn't. I hear stories like yours, and it it leaves me honestly speechless. And, you know, the other side of people will say, well, you know, your right to freedom doesn't trump my right to not get infected by your virus and, mm-hmm. and this type of thing. But we, I was so afraid in the summer of 2021 when we had our Delta wave here in my state. Because I heard, not not ever in person, but it was always on these, you know, uh, comments on social media and in these forums where people kind of take their take their mask off, no pun intended, and show their real colors when nobody's around to have to justify it to. And there were so many people who were healthcare workers. Mm-hmm who said things like, if you are unvaccinated, that you do not deserve health care, that mm-hmm. we need to prioritize health care for people who have received the vaccine. They need beds a lot worse than unvaccinated patients need beds. Mm-hmm. And one other person said, I love my job, but I hate taking care of stupid patients. Mm-hmm. And that really shook me. It it troubled me more than almost anything this entire time. And it is the darkness that can come out of people when they feel like they're doing something that's good. Mm-hmm. Some of these people are well-intentioned. They're not evil people. But they have so bought in to horrendous, horrendous public messaging that was so bad, so flawed, it was almost a Lord of the Flies type situation where we got rid of all of our old ethics and we established these new sets of rules that we pretended like always existed, but we really just made it up yesterday. And public health, they really take advantage of your humanity. They mm-hmm. they pit you against one another based on just that common goodwill that you have. They 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 give you the nudge, like you said, mm-hmm. because they know most people don't want to hurt other people. And it's like, well, if you're not going to fall in line, well, that must mean that you want to hurt other people and you want other people to die or you don't care about them. And there's no conscionable reason why you wouldn't do what I say. And And I still haven't gotten over it. it's 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 a manipulation tactic. It's all it is. It's trying to manipulate you. And and it's hard to to see that unless you've seen it before. And it's hard to notice all that. It was very much, I think, much harder for my poor husband because these are anesthetists and he thought it was his colleagues who actually were saying the unvaccinated should go into camps 
and throw away the key. Or, and he, these were people he worked with beside him in the operating room every single day for 25 years. How does this mm. come out of someone's heart? Do you know, it, it was basically, we saw people, unfortunately, how they really are. All right. And I don't know who said this. Is Dostoevsky said this, that, you know, the evil and good goes through every person's heart. Mm. And we have to realize that it, all of us are capable of doing bad things. We think we're good, but we're not yes. we're capable. And, you know, if you don't think you are capable, then, and you think you're a good person, I think you can get manipulated easily. You have to think that you're capable of doing evil and you have to stop yourself at all times. One thing that I've been trying to work on through, through this time is to try, because of these noblizers, not to tell lies to anybody. Or what Jordan Peterson says, do not lie, or at the best, do not, you know, basically do not outright lie or stop basically don't say anything okay so if someone is telling you these things and you don't agree to agree you don't you know you say oh i'm you know i'm sorry you feel that way or you know i feel a little differently and just leave it at that but don't lie work on not lying that's what we need to do in my view to to go forward the people like myself and my husband will have to forgive these people. We will have to do it. Hmm. doesn't mean we're going to forget, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to. I don't. My husband's back at work. He went and actually got Novavax, so he could go back. It's going to be interesting because he is going to challenge all of those physicians who told him that he should be in a camp or wished him dead or wished him not to get things. It's going to be very interesting once people find this all out. And we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, those of us who are mistreated will have to forgive because we have to live with people and we're going to have to go forward. But all I ask is for everyone to not lie. That's what we should do, is be true to ourselves and do not lie to yourselves and do not utter any lies. It is harder than you think, okay? Yes. It is really hard. But and that's what we should I have should a lot start. of respect for your approach to that. Um, seeking the will to forgive someone who basically treated you as a second-rate citizen for two years. Mm-hmm. That's not a that's not an easy thing to do, and it goes it goes completely against human nature, and but I feel that you're right. In the long run, there has to be some reconciliation there. There has to be some. We have to somehow build bridges, mm-hmm. and the bridges have to be built between me and my fellow colleague between me and the person I encounter at the grocery store, you know, Mm -hmm. between me and regular people just like me, that there's never going to be a, I, I hate to say it, but I really feel like at this point, there's never going to be a reckoning 
and an apology from people in leadership because yep. all they ever do is double down and triple down on, on their mistakes. So if there's going to be a way forward, I feel like we have to make it among ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't rely on people to do it for us. Do you agree yep. with that? I agree. Now, having said that, I do want them to I do want them to realize that they made an error. Okay? Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I do would like it doesn't have to be a big apology. You have to say, you know, I you know, I didn't realize that. I wasn't thoughtful. I lied or you know, I'm very sorry that you you had to go through all that. Because there are some out there that are still thinking they're in the right. And yeah. um yeah. So th- that has to come from uh, my colleagues and from my family and from the people that I've I've met. Um, a lot of that is already happening. Okay, they haven't been overt, but covertly they're um, much more open and and um, you know willing to treat me not like a pariah anymore. So it's already starting. Okay, I haven't got the apologies yet though. And that's, I would like to see that. I would like to see that if possible. Um, I'm not, I'm not thinking that it's going to happen all the way and, you know, I'll be disappointed, but that's the way it's going to be. And, uh, yeah, but for the leadership, it is unlikely, um, that they will actually apologize. Though I do think a few may do that. In fact, we had big, we had some inklings with our chief. Um, officer of health here in Ontario was already hinting at this kind of thing, okay? And um, so I think we're going to get a few at the mid-level for sure, but the Dr. Fauci's or Dr. Tam, our equivalent, etc., are not. They're not. Our leaders are uh, Justin Trudeau, etc., will not. And, um, and that's... <laughs> I expect that to happen, and that's fine. The yeah, I just would like to know. Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) I mean, does anybody like him? No, but what's really funny, JP, what's really funny, no one admits to the fact that they voted for him. So I don't know how he won the election. And this was, um, he uh, the part the he has a minority government parliament. Terry, um, democracy is a little different, so he doesn't have the full house, so, so to speak. So he's he's in um, kind of a collaboration with a very far left group, and uh, so they're kind of running a coalition government in a way, and so it's very unstable. So at any point in time, he could be thrown out. We don't have to vote him out, okay? <laughs> like Canada doesn't have to vote him out. The rest of you know, all the parliamentarians have to go together and say he's no good and vote him out. So he obviously, um, you know, but there's lots of deals. Nobody likes him very much. Um, I don't know how he got elected. I really don't because I don't know anybody who admitted voting for him except a few. I did, a few. And it's mostly because, um, yeah, for a few. But yes, nobody, he doesn't like him. And um, he doesn't live that far away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it sounds very similar to our president right now. He's extremely mm-hmm. unpopular. And I've I've told people before 
in the presidents in my lifetime, you know, you always go through periods of your approval is up, your approval is down. But I can always remember people in the past, even when approval was down, you can remember certain people who just believed in the person so much that they always came to their defense and they Mm -hmm. always had something good to say about him and they stuck by him no matter what. And I kind of feel bad for the guy because nobody's doing that with Biden. Nope. They just, it's just in the, in the, the thing that I still have to wrap my mind around is we're not even halfway through his term. So (laughs) it's, uh, it's been a long year and a half. So, um, I, I, I feel bad for him. He's not the guy he was years ago, but the last thing I'll say I really, really appreciate you giving this time and having this discussion. I've really enjoyed it. I hope that moving forward, we're probably not going to get all the things that we want, but I'm hoping moving forward that we'll see at least a better version of what happened during the two years. Because there's, you know, there will be a there may not be another COVID in our lifetimes, but there's going to be another such, you know, national emergency of some type in the future. And I just worry so much that enough people just completely disregard anything that they have to say now that they, when something real, when something else happens that really deserves a lot of attention, they're not going to be able to get their message out. And I, I worry that people have been harmed by their policy now, but that people in the future who we don't even know about yet are going to be harmed because of their refusal to admit mistakes and refusal yeah. to say the words, yeah. we're not sure, but this is what we think. Yeah. I feel like that would have gone such a long way with so many people and they never did it. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I agree. It was uh, lovely talking to you as well. It is really hard to find someone who understands what I talk about from right off the start, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least to to understand um, about my issues with this vaccine and to understand. So I really appreciate um, this opportunity to be able to tell you my story. And I'm hoping that um, my work on some of the um, issues that I find from the back, uh, from these genetic products can go out and support people. One good thing that I think is going to come out from this is that we're going to manage and treat viruses totally different than we did before. Really, it, we're going to find ways and means of managing adverse events, viruses, and diseases totally different than we did before. I can see this happening now. We can see it in front of us. You know with how monkey we're pox. going to manage, huh? With monkeypox, yeah, or just in general, how we're going to manage viruses. Would you have ever thought a drug like an ordinary drug like hydroxychloroquine was effective? You know. 
no, or that how much vitamin D works or, you know, stuff like metformin or mm-hmm. fluvoxamine, which actually is officially allowed in, in Ontario, is actually encouraged. And um, stuff like that, just how we manage and think about how to manage viral infections, bacterial infections, and maybe even chronic diseases. This is a new paradigm that's being brought forward. Okay, I could see the outlines of that. And I think that is the good thing that's going to come out of this pandemic is we're going to see and treat diseases differently. I could see the outlines of that happening. And so uh, that is one of the good things that will happen as a result of this um, of this pandemic I'm hoping for. I hope you're right. And that's another reason that I have respect for you is just in the the limited amount of interaction I've been able to have with you. You seem like somebody who is an eternal optimist in some ways. I really, really have enjoyed talking to you. You can find Maria's work on Twitter. Um, if you search for G-U-T-W-A-T-1, you'll find her Twitter page, and she um, is constantly posting really good information from different places, and she has really good takes on the issues of the day. And Thank you. I really appreciate anybody who hung in this long to to listen to us. Thank you very much for doing so. And I really hope this reaches some healthcare colleagues. And if you know somebody who you feel would benefit from listening to this, please share it with them. Because these the message the take home messages from this conversation are important or we wouldn't have had this long distance conversation like we did. <laughs> So, Maria, thanks again, and I hope to talk to you again before too long. I hope so, too. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was mine, actually. Thank you, JP. 